0: Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, greetings to all of you. I want to welcome everyone at Center Street Church, those of us here at Central Campus, as well as those from our campus in Northwest Calgary, Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. And I also want to welcome those who are watching us online. Now, I'm going to take a break from the mini-series, Unveiled Jesus in the Book of Revelation, and uh, join with Pastor Henry in uh, preaching from the book of uh, 1 John. Uh, last weekend, Pastor Henry gave a great introduction to the first letter of John, and today we're going to once again linger in the opening verses of 1 John, because it gives a great foundation uh, to this book of the Bible. I may restate some things you heard last weekend from Pastor Henry, but also bring my own perspective to this text. The Apostle John wrote this letter in spiritually confusing times when the church wrestled with the identity of Jesus. This letter was written about 50 years after Jesus' ascension. So by this time, there were second and even third generation Christians. Now, unfortunately, uh, false teachers had uh, crept into the church and started spreading heresies. Uh, Influenced by Greek Gnostic philosophy, they misrepresented the identity of Jesus. And some Christians got uh, carried away by these false teachings and wanted to leave the fellowship of the church. Now, Gnosticism is a broad umbrella term for a variety of beliefs that uh, majored on a dualistic view of reality. So according to this philosophy, the spiritual world was considered to be good while the material world was uh, seen as evil. So as a result, uh, the Gnostic teachers denied that Jesus came in bodily form as they uh, perceived matter as evil. They questioned the humanity of Jesus and discredited the incarnation The word Gnosticism at its root basically means knowledge. And the knowledge that the Gnostic teachers espoused was a a mystical, secretive, personal enlightenment. Interestingly, if you notice, John also in his letter uses the word know quite often. But there's a huge difference in the way John uses this term. Uh, This knowledge that John talks about is not based on mystical revelation, but on the historical person and work of Jesus Christ. And there's nothing secretive about it. You can shout this message from the rooftops. The church during John's time was uh, simply being swayed by these false teachings. And this letter was written to believers to give them a sure footing, to bring them back on track and to offer them the certainty in the midst of confusion. Now, how John does this is, uh, rather than focusing on the false teachings, the Apostle John upholds the truth. Because when truth is being proclaimed, all deceptions will ultimately collapse. The text we're going to look at is uh, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1-4. to 4. So I'm going to ask us to stand as we read our text this morning. you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Lord, we are grateful to you for this uh, authentic testimony of the Apostle John, who had a personal relationship with Jesus. And we thank you that uh, today we can experience Jesus personally as well. And that is our desire today as we look into your word. Would you come and minister your truth to us so our hearts will be drawn closer to you, that we will come to know you more, Lord Jesus. We commit this time into your hands. Lead us today, Lord, by your spirit. We ask this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Just this past week, Christianity Today website had an article about a latest study that was done among American evangelicals on what they believed about the core beliefs of our faith. A people who profess to be evangelical Christians were asked a set of doctrinal questions on the fundamental issues of faith. Now a staggering 78% of people who were part of this study believed Jesus was the first and greatest being created by God the Father. Now if you're wondering 2,000 years later, do John's letters have any relevance for us in the 21st century, you don't need any more evidence than this. It's not just the people in the first century world who wrestled with the identity of Jesus, But so do we centuries later. And it is ironic to me that people who call themselves Christians are so muddled about their view of Jesus. You know, this should be an eye-opener for churches in North America to elevate the value of biblical preaching and stop these feel-good messages and sermons on pop psychology. You know, it grieves me that in the name of relevance pastors are guilty of preaching self-help messages and using the Bible as a footnote. And no wonder we have Christians today who have no foundation at all of basic biblical truths and are so anemic in their faith. I tell you, it is a tragedy when churches don't preach the Bible, when they no longer do a systematic teaching of the scripture. And that is why it is high time that we restore God's word back to where it belongs and never lose the primacy of biblical preaching. (laughs) Jesus is not a created being. He is eternal. And if we don't have the right understanding of the person of Jesus, we have a serious problem. Because the identity of Jesus is at the very core of our evangelical faith. That's what distinguishes us from every other worldview. And there is no compromise when it comes to who Jesus is. He is divine. He is eternally God with no beginning or end. And he is central to our salvation. The four verses uh, that we read from 1 John is called the prologue. And the purpose of a prologue is to get the readers uh, to think about the subject of the text. In the original Greek, uh, these first four verses are actually one long sentence without a break. John begins his letter by asserting that the incarnation of Jesus is the foundation of all Christian teaching. To the Gnostic teachers, this idea of the eternal Son of God having flesh and blood was unthinkable. But to John, this was the heart of the salvation message. The supreme evidence of God's love is seen in the incarnation. God took on flesh and blood to become one among us. And that is why... John is speaking here of his sensory experience. He is an eyewitness of Jesus. Now look at the opening verses once again. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. John refers to Jesus here as the word of life. And if you recall, there's a similar reference to Jesus in the Gospel of John. Uh, The famous opening words of John's Gospel are, in the beginning was the word. When John makes reference to the beginning here in his letter as well as in the Gospel, He's referring to the pre-existence of Christ. There was never a time Jesus wasn't around. And at a particular point in history, the Word took on flesh and he appeared as a man. Now, Jesus is called the Word of God because he reveals God to us. In the words of New Testament scholar D.A. Carson, Jesus is the self-expression of God. As the word of God, he communicates all that God is to us. So Jesus is the fullest expression of God's nature and character. And this eternal word became the human Jesus. This life was manifested in a human body. So Jesus in his incarnation was 100% God and 100% man. John the Apostle, who walked with this Jesus for over three and a half years, attests to the fact that he has heard, seen, and his hands have touched Jesus. You know, John says this emphatically to counter the view of the Gnostic teachers who denied that Jesus had a body. They only saw him as a spirit being. John uses uh, two different words uh, with regard to the sense of sight. We have seen with our eyes and we have looked at. The word looked here means uh, fixing your gaze like when you marvel at something. So what John is saying is he didn't just have a momentary glimpse of Jesus like a mystical vision, but Jesus was a living reality. Uh, John didn't have a passing glance at Jesus, but he observed Jesus closely for over three years. So the apostle John could speak with confidence and with authority about Jesus' existence because of the shared experience that he and the other apostles had with Jesus. It was totally undeniable. They were eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, his ministry, his teachings, his miracles, his death, and his glorious resurrection. Now It was so memorable that even 50 to 60 years later, John uses the perfect tense to convey the idea of his past experience with Jesus. We have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we have looked at, and our hands have touched. The experience was still vivid, impactful, and real, even with the passing of years. Now what was the effect that experience had on the apostles? This experience with Jesus convinced them of the reality of the gospel message and the need to take it to the ends of the earth. Now someone here may wonder, it makes sense that the apostles saw Jesus, lived with him, touched him, Uh, but what about us? Uh, We live generations past this historical event? Can we also be certain of Jesus' existence? Or are we merely basing this on John's testimony? Can we experience the word of life today? Now the answer to that question can be found in what John says here next in verse 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. See, John is not bragging about his own experience with Jesus, but rather he is inviting all of us to come and have the same fellowship. See, the original apostles do carry special authority, and they played a unique role in the revelation of divine truths to the rest of the church. But if we think that the only ones who could experience Jesus were those who walked with Jesus during his earthly ministry, then we are wrong. Because our experience of Jesus today is no less than theirs. Here's a question for you. If you were to be asked, would you like Jesus to be beside you or the spirit of inside you, what would you choose? I think most people would say, I want Jesus beside me. I want him to be close to me all the time. That would be absolutely amazing. But look at what Jesus himself said in John chapter 16, verse 7. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. In Jesus' own words, what would be better is not to have him physically beside us, but to have his spirit live in us. When Jesus was here on earth, he was not omnipresent. He was physically limited to one place. But through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is now with all of us. Jesus is not an absentee God who has departed. The ascension of Jesus to heaven is not the termination of his presence. He is with us through the Spirit. In fact, that is the primary work of the Holy Spirit, to bring the presence of Jesus to us, for he is the Spirit of Christ. He opens our hearts and our eyes to taste and feel and experience Jesus as if he is here with us. So it is possible to have a vibrant experience with Jesus today through his spirit and participate in the abundant life that he offers us. And that is what makes Christianity, an adventure with the living God rather than yet another dull religion. So just as the apostles had a personal relationship with Jesus, that they were not speaking out of second-hand experiences, but they knew him intimately, so could you and me. The word witness is a legal term used in the context of testifying in a court setting. We testify out of our personal experience. We affirm the truth that Jesus is alive and our lives are no longer the same because of him. And our world desperately needs such authentic witnesses for there is nothing more convincing than the testimony of someone whose life has been radically transformed by Jesus people who have had first-hand encounters with Jesus, who don't see Jesus as someone who's way up in heaven, but through his spirit have a daily interaction with him. When such people speak of their authentic experience, it gets the attention of the world around them. Now look at uh, what John tells us uh, again in verse 3. We proclaim to you, what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. This word fellowship is a deep word. and We use the word fellowship in Christian circles incorrectly. Fellowship is not a bunch of Christians sitting in a house drinking coffee and eating apple pies that is called socializing. Fellowship is not hanging out in our cafe after the service is over so you can talk to other people. See it is good to socialize but let's not call that biblical fellowship. Uh, The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia and that word has nothing to do with socializing but it means partnership. It is a joint participation as in a common venture like a business partner. So it is not a casual acquaintance, but it is about what we have in common that strongly binds us together. So from what this text is saying in 1 John chapter one, verse three, we are invited into a two-fold fellowship. We are part of the fellowship of the Father and the Son, and we are also part of the fellowship of other believers. The Father and the Son have been in eternal relationship along with the Spirit. The Trinity has always existed in community, sharing perfect love. And if you wonder why we as humans long for community, it is because we are made in the image of a triune God who exists in relationship. So our Trinitarian God exists in perfect community and unless we experience Community with God and community with other people, we will always be restless inside. Here is a mind blowing truth. I want us to get this. When we become Christians, we are invited into this divine Trinitarian fellowship. We are now part of this divine family. God is on a mission to extend this community and bring more people into the fold. I want you to hear what the Apostle Peter has to say about this, this concept of fellowship. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. That word participate is the same word koinonia, fellowship. We are in communion with God's divine nature so we can be conformed to the image of Christ. Dwell on this for a moment. Our fellowship is the most important thing God desires from us. Not your money, not your talents, not what you can do for him, but he wants you. The king of kings who made the whole universe wants an audience with you. See, we have been Christians long enough, we can lose our awe of this amazing truth and make it sound so common. But this is what is distinct about the Christian faith. We are not God's slaves or servants. Slaves don't get to fellowship, but as God's children, He invites us to experience Him fully. And the calling that God has for us is not just to discharge some religious duties, but to come into his presence and fellowship with him, that is the highest honor that has been extended to us. And he does not stop here. This is not just about you and Jesus having a good time, we are also part of the koinonia of the body of Christ. So we are in fellowship with countless believers with whom we share the same common identity, starting with the apostles, to all of God's people, all through history, to all those people who live today. We have a shared heritage as disciples of Jesus, a common identity that binds all of us together. So what that means is, you and I have more in common with a Christian believer from another part of the world, from a different continent or people group, than we have in common with our Canadian neighbor who's a non-Christian. So irrespective of our geography, our culture, we are part of the one body of Christ. And that's why I'm once again grieved by the survey results of evangelicals when the same group of evangelical Christians were asked in the study, worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church, 58% of them believe this to be true. You know, this individualistic gospel that revolves around you and a personal relationship with Jesus and conveniently leaves out other Christians has no foundation at all in the Bible. It is just a culturally conditioned gospel that panders to our individualistic society. We need to come together and worship corporately. This is basic, but we need to emphasize this in our day and age. Don't miss church unless you have a real genuine reason. And along with this corporate worship, we also need smaller communities that are visible expressions of our universal fellowship as believers. And that is the reason we have community groups in our church. And we encourage all of you who are part of Sinistry Church to connect with a group on mission. If we are not in community, if we are not sharing our lives and living in partnership with other believers on a shared mission, we have missed out on one of the biggest blessings of the Christian life. As you read these uh, four verses in the first letter of John, you will see that there's a word that is repeated three times, and it is the main verb in our text. And it's the word, proclaim. John says in verse one, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Again in verse two, we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Verse three, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. Now when you have the life of God in you, and when you are strengthened and energized by a community of other believers, how can you not proclaim this message about Jesus to others around you? Proclamation is a natural overflow of our fellowship with God and our fellowship with other believers. Proclamation is a confident declaration of a believing community of our experience with Jesus. It is an invitation to the world to join us and find their treasure in Christ. Christian fellowship is never limited or exclusive. There is always room for more. And proclamation and seeking to introduce others to the faith is at the very heart of our beliefs. I tell you in my own life at any moment, I use my passion for evangelism to gauge my spiritual temperature. It is a practical way to measure my life's priorities and focus. And it gives an accurate picture of my spirituality. Now if your passion for evangelism is low, then check to see whether you're experiencing life with God and life with others. Proclamation is a byproduct of a heart that is brimming with Jesus. I want to give us two crucial questions to ponder and to reflect. Here's the first question. Is Jesus a living person you constantly interact with, or is he just a distant figure from the past? Here's the second question. Are you part of a vibrant faith community to encourage you in your spiritual journey? How you respond to these two questions will determine your zeal to introduce others to Jesus. It's interesting that we often speak of evangelism as a spiritual gift, and a common excuse we offer is, I don't share my faith because I don't have the gift of evangelism. You know, rather than seeing evangelism as a spiritual gift, it is more helpful if we can see it as a spiritual discipline. For if it is a spiritual discipline, no one is exempted and we all can grow in this area. It is fitting now to bring to your attention significant evangelistic events that are coming right here at Senna Church. I want us to Pray earnestly for these events that I'm going to talk about and participate wholeheartedly as a church. Most of you will be familiar with uh, Rabbi Zachariah's International Ministries. Now, we have the privilege of having the North American director for RZIM, Abdu Murray, here with us in a couple of weeks. Abdu is a brilliant guy, a lawyer by training, and came to know the Lord from a Muslim background, has a powerful testimony. And he speaks today across uh, universities in North America and places of influence, has written some really thought-provoking books. So Abdul will be speaking in our worship services on November 3, 4 weekend. And if you look at the bulletin that you received today, you will see that there are two other events that we are doing with Abdul, and you will find the invites in your bulletin. On November 3rd, Saturday at 1 p.m., we are hosting a dialogue with Muslims. We have a prominent uh, Calgary Imam named Syed Soherwadi who has about 6,000 people connected to his mosque here in Calgary and about 17 mosques all across Canada. So this Imam will dialogue with Abdu Murray on the topic forgiveness and sacrifice as seen in Christianity and Islam. And this event will be hosted right here in our worship center of our central campus. Now, On a side note, if you don't know this, People of other faiths who have never been to a church have all kinds of preconceived notions. You know, I was having coffee with a Muslim guy a week ago at a Tim Hortons. You know what he said to me? He said, the perception in our faith community is Sinistery Church is a church of rednecks. (laughs) You know, my response to him was, "Uh, brother, I don't know where you heard that. But what I do know is, if you come to our church, chances are you might hear a brown guy with an accent preaching fairly regularly. So come and check us out. (laughs) See, events like these are intended to break people's preconceived bias and engage them with the gospel. And let me say this very clearly. This is not a compromise of our faith or our convictions, but it's in fact our convictions that motivate us to reach out to all people groups in our own city. So if you know a Muslim neighbor, a coworker, someone your kids go to school with, invite them to come to this event. This is a respectful event where we will talk about diverging viewpoints and have the freedom to ask questions. Many of them have never stepped into a church building. And this is a great opportunity for us to host them here. Now, Another significant event with Abdu Murray is on uh, Monday, November 5 at 7 p.m. And we are calling it, What is Life All About? Humanity's Search for Meaning. Now, I want you to pull out your phones right now. Pull out your phones and mark this event on your calendar. Monday, November 5 at 7 p.m. And while you're doing that, I want you to watch a short video from Abdu Murray himself.
1: Hi, everyone. It's Abdu Murray, North American Director with Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. And I'm excited to invite you to join me for an open forum at Center Street Church in Calgary on November 5th at 7 p.m. The theme of that open forum will be humanity's Search for Meaning. No matter what country I find myself in, people are always asking questions centered on the topic of meaning. Whether it's a science and faith question, whether it's a biblical authority question, whether it's a sexuality question, whatever it happens to be, somehow the topic always centers on the idea of human meaning. Well, I want to share with you in a very short talk how we can discover human meaning and what it's all about. But I also want to open up the floor to lots of questions. So the talk will be short, followed by a time of questions and answers. So join us on November 5th at 7pm at Center Street Church in Calgary for Man's Search for Meaning. To find out more, go to rzim.ca. Hope to see you there.
0: Now, this is an event for you to invite your friends and family who have spiritual questions, those who are curious and are seeking for answers. And this event is uh, directed at a secular audience, so so invite anyone from any faith or even those who have no faith. Now I hope and pray that we will be able to pack this place on that Monday. If you want uh, more invitations, uh, please go to the Information Center or talk to your campus pastor for more information. See, these are hands-on opportunities for us as a community to join hands and work together and proclaim and invite others into this great fellowship we have with Jesus. And we are counting on you to do your part and trusting that God will do his part. Now in closing, I want us to draw our attention to verse four where John writes, we write this to make our joy complete. Now how will John's joy find completion? The apostle is longing for the fullness of joy that comes when others find delight in what he finds delight. You know, I love our times of corporate worship as a church, the joy and ecstasy of being lost in worship. And in the midst of our praise and worship time, as we exalt the name of Jesus, every now and then, I'll open my eyes just to look around and see the hands that are raised and the expression in the faces of people. And I get such a kick out of it. I feel like my joy is complete, not only when I worship, but when I see others worshiping the Jesus I love. I feel like my joy is complete when I talk to someone from our congregation who understands what it means to live on mission for Jesus. I feel my joy is complete when I witness a baptism or talk to a new believer who has just committed their life to Jesus Christ. The apostle John is saying his joy is complete when the circle of fellowship is being extended to others. As the circle widens, so does his joy as others experience the intimacy with Christ that he himself experiences. See, first, we have this tremendous joy and privilege of knowing God personally, but closely tied to that is the transformation God brings in the lives of others around us. And nothing in this world compares to seeing someone come to faith in Christ. Pass from death to life, from the bondage of Satan to freedom in Christ, from brokenness and sin to finding joy and becoming part of this universal fellowship of believers, giving glory to God. No price is too high to see one person make this decision for Jesus Christ. And that's why the Bible tells us angels in heaven celebrate when one sinner repents and comes to find life in Christ. We, every one of us who call ourselves followers of Christ, have to actively seek to bring others into the fellowship. That is the driving passion of our church And that should be the pulsating passion of every Christian. Bringing others into the fellowship is not an individual's responsibility alone, but it is the community's responsibility. So let's exalt the Lord and shine forth his light so that our city will be flooded with God's love and grace, and many will be added into our fellowship. and ask us to stand as we come to an end. I want us to close our eyes right now and reflect on what we've heard and especially ponder on those two questions that I raised. Is Jesus a living person that you interact with on a daily basis? Or has your faith become so lukewarm that he looks so distant to you? The second question, are you part of a vibrant community that breathes life into you? Let's reflect on that and along with that, I also want you to think about the evangelistic events that are coming up and see whom God may lay on your heart to invite to these events. And pray that God will work in a powerful way as we as a church seek to introduce others into the faith. So let's maintain a moment of silence and after that, our close is in prayer. Lord, what an honor and privilege it is that we can experience Jesus today through your spirit. That you are not a distant God who is far away, but you are right here with us, that you dwell in us through your spirit. And we pray that we will all come alive to this reality of Jesus living in us and through us. That we will follow your lead in our lives. That we will find guidance and direction on a daily basis from you in living out our callings. I pray, God, that none of us will live this Christian life in isolation, but we will be part of a a thriving community of others partnering with one another to advance your kingdom. And we pray for these events that are coming up. Thank you, God, for the opportunity and the privilege we have of uh, making Jesus known to others in our city. And we pray that these events will be used by you. That, Lord, you will bring new people into our midst who will get to hear the good news of Jesus. And you will work in a powerful way. That you will take our efforts and our labor and do what you alone can do. Transform the lives of people that they will be added into our fellowship. For which we give you all the glory, honor, and praise. And even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet, unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us, both now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.